Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good buddies Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Hey, guess what day it is. It's any day and you grab your local newspaper and you open it up and maybe it's the lifestyle section or the B section or the whatever section and you leaf through the pages and you get to the funny pages. Yay. Today, yay. today yay. we are debating and deliberating the Mount Rushmore of the funny pages. Now, I recognize that it was National Cartoonist Day on May 5th. And then I told that to these guys and they said, Richard said, Michael said. What, what did I say? <laughs> I don't think I said anything. I think Michael said it. First. Oh, no. Sorry. You didn't say anything. There was a balloon that popped up above your head. Yes. And- thank you. There's a little thought balloon. <laughs> And much like Dagwood Bum said, I was just thinking about sandwiches. Sandwiches. Yeah. And why is it my wife? Is it my daughter? I, if I could make a really bad move here, they look so much alike. The uh, Mount Rushmore of the funny pages is what I think we kind of debated and, or discussed. That was sort of what we workshopped and came up workshopped. with. It could, couldn't be comic strips because that would that sort of implies a yes. multi-panel. Yes. And uh, thing, so funny pages. And they've got even more than just comics, uh, single panel comics or uh, comic strips. There's a lot of other things in the funny pages. So. Sure, it could be. Uh, there, there are lots of lots of games. Other features. And, yeah. yeah, I yeah. can't. Yeah, I can't wait till Richard's choice of Sudoku. <laughs> super, no, guys, yeah, I'm super stoked. Jumble the scrambled word game. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, I think maybe uh, why don't we just go with Michael starts? Okay. Well. This was a very, this is such a deep topic. I was really surprised. I think there's a couple that automatically jumped to mind um, as seeming like no brainer choices, but then I start thinking of like the history of what um, the comics pages were and what currently is running in comic pages. And um, I thought it would be nice to uh, have like a really old choice. So, um, but it was also one that I thought um, was just wonderful to look at. And that's um, Little Nemo in Slumberland, the Windsor McKay comics from like the turn of the century from like 1905. Holy cow. And these are like full, he would draw, uh, he was an American artist and he had um, big full page, um, like Art Nouveau style um, comic strips that were about this little boy Nemo who falls asleep and is kind of, the panels are like these just wonderfully uh, uh, detailed, richly colored um, comic strips about this boy kind of falling asleep and having adventures and being taken into like um, uh, the Dream King's world and his adventures with his um, uh, 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 flip or flick, I can't remember, his like sidekick and would get him into all sorts of trouble. And they're just so imaginative and so, so vivid and I can't imagine what it would have been like at, you know, at 1900, 1905 to suddenly open up these, you know, a black and white paper and then once a week or however often it was published to have just these full colored, highly detailed, highly um, descriptive, like pages just like barfed out at you. It must've been just like, uh, kind of like uh, Dorothy going into you know, into uh, the land of Oz, mm-hmm. just, you know, once a week, just everything goes from like this kind of, you know, God, I can't imagine what reading the paper would have been like, just blocks and blocks of text and, you know, advertisements for various ointments and tonics. And all of a sudden you're just like in this 
you know, magical world. And it wasn't, you know, it, this was shortly after, a, you know, a few years before that, that the, the idea of like a colored print and colored paper was like even available with, um, uh, they called it, uh, I guess uh, one of the first ones was the yellow kid, which was kind of um, where the term yellow journalism came from. Um, but sorry, I was off topic, but like just the idea that the funny pages, that this, the Sunday comics or whatever have this life in black and white. And then once a week they explode into full color. I don't think it's really um, better stylized than um, uh, the little Nemo comics. I'm not, I, I've heard the name and I maybe seen some panels in the history of comics type books, but yeah. I don't know it. Uh, they had a, uh, God, it's, I mean, it's been forever. I, I went to uh, an art exhibit of it down in LA. God, this is probably 2005 or six. And they just had these, I mean, the actual pages that were drawn were these gigantic. I'm holding up my hands so the podcasters can see us, all our listeners. <laughs> I mean, they're like, they're huge. Um, but they're just, uh, I think I'm definitely more, you know, the stories are very whimsical and, feature like you know Nemo falling asleep in his bed growing long legs and walking through the city and then eventually he by the last panel he always kind of wakes up you know nothing mm -hmm. bad ever really happens to him um really but um the art itself is just so amazingly detailed one thing that I, I remember is that uh all of the outlines of things were in kind of like a much heavier um heavier width and then all of like the interior art within a particular panel or particular um, cartoon, like a character was a much finer point. And I remember looking at it just being, God, this, the amount of time just spent on this is just must've been so, uh, so daunting, but maybe, I don't know, maybe it's obviously worth it. You know, it's, it's, you know, there's some comics and some strips that you see and they look so simple and, uh, things are so stylized or so graphic or so simple. It's like, okay, I can see how someone can bang out five of these a week and one on Sunday or whatever, but to have this full page thing that is just um, incredible. And McKay is the guy who, did, he's the Gertie the Dinosaur guy, the guy who did that uh, animation. I guess he would present this uh, animated film of uh, this. He's the first guy to do animated dinosaurs <laughs> and he would do a live interaction where he was pretending to kind of train this uh mm. dinosaur that's interesting i as a kid i don't think i ever puzzled out the reason but i always was amazed by how a daily strip uh storyline would be four panels that would feature uh the least dynamic action you'd ever seen in your life maybe except for spider-man like if gasoline alley <laughs> it would be <laughs> three panels where Somebody says something, somebody says something back to them. And then there's a witty rejoinder at the end, maybe while mm. the person is staring at the frame. And then the Sundays, especially like Calvin and Hobbes might be four boring frames, black and white. But the Sunday thing was this incredibly fantastical Lewis Keller Carroll through the rabbit hole kind of story with uh, two different universes happening, the imaginary universe and the the real universe and uh, and i didn't learn till later that they had two different production uh 
I knew as a kid that whatever storyline I was following in Mary Worth or Mark Trail or whatever didn't happen on the weekends. On the weekends, they had a whole different thing. It was yeah. like them. Mark Trail was trying to nurse a rhino back to health or something. Or he'd, the... he'd lecture you about like uh, the, 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 the mating habits of deer. Yeah. But you'd wonder, like, are you taking a break from the poacher, you know, <laughs> plot line <laughs> or something that was going on during the week? But they, yeah. they would need to do a different. They couldn't do the same plot line because the Sunday took so long to do. I guess they would have to work three, four weeks ahead on that one. Whereas right. the other one would be like a week ahead. All right, Richard, what do you got? Well, Jeff, you mentioned it. Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes. My first yeah, also, also on my list. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of the, I think, no-brainers that Michael was, was talking mm-hmm. about. Um, again, you know, in terms of, I think, really, you know, the, the, the artwork that went into Calvin and Hobbes, in particular, particular, like you said, Jeff, the Sunday panels, um, where you would have these, you know, these regressions into Calvin's imagination where everything looked like, you know, when one day it could be like Voyage to the Center of the Earth or a John Carter novel or, you know, whatever, whatever the, you know, dinosaurs, whatever the, uh, the inspiration happened to be that week. And they were these amazing drawings and these, you know, that went, that just stuck, stood out amongst your typical family circus. Let's trace Jeffy's yeah. path around the neighborhood. It just came off as something completely fresh and different. Um, you know, I think in, in terms of the actual comic itself, I think it did an amazing job of capturing kind of a re- the reality of what being a six-year-old is really like. Even a preternaturally like smart six-year-old like Calvin is supposed to be um, at least smart in terms of being streetwise. I don't know about school, school-wise, but um, yeah, you know, definitely a different type of kid than you had ever seen really in the comic books. A lot of the comic book kids were wiser than their years, but they didn't have that sense of hyperactivity and sort of imagination run amok mm. that you would often see with, with Calvin and Hobbes. And I just appreciate the fact that Bill Watterson got out when he did. You know, he took a couple of sabbaticals during his time drawing Calvin and Hobbes and eventually got to the point where he decided, you know what, I think I'm out of story ideas. I think I'm good. And he got out before the jokes became stale or, be they came, or before they became reruns of previous gags that he had done 10 years before. I just really appreciate the fact that he went out on a high note. Yeah. You know, you're talking about the yellow kid earlier and there was no shortage of precocious young people and i think like uh the structure of like a fable having a uh a message delivered through the mouth from the mouths of babes is a way for a a a good kind of satirist or communicator to get the word across but so i felt like obviously uh bill waterson was standing on the shoulders of the previous of his, his predecessors. And it's, I think especially like uh, Charles Schultz, who started to explore the neuroses of young people mm-hmm. and how they were not too dissimilar than the neuro- neuroses of adults. Um, but those, I think it was also um, interesting how Calvin's parents weren't Warden June Cleaver either. They 
when confronted <laughs> no. with Calvin's weirdness, <clears throat> they didn't tell him to stop being weird necessarily, but I think they just, they didn't, father did not know best. <laughs> he just knew to just kind of give him some room to do whatever. <laughs> as long <laughs> as he's not actively breaking yeah. something or hurting something. Yeah. Yeah. They were very sardonic. And so you can see where Calvin naturally got that sort of humor and, and personality traits about through uh, his parents. And he was, they were also just frequently really exasperated, which yeah. having had very Im active imagination, six-year-old kids in the past, mm -hmm. I can tell you that's a, that's a very real thing. Mm -hmm. So anytime you saw the mom, anytime you saw Calvin making a snowman that looks like it was being, you know, yeah, shot with arrows or whatever it happened to be. And his mom just had made that hand in, you know, hand <laughs> mm -hmm. in, hand hand in her face kind of look. <laughs> I understand completely now where they're coming from with that. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I was always. Um, I th this is like my favorite comic growing up. I I don't remember us reading it week in and week out. We didn't get the paper or anything. I think my dad would get the Sunday paper. And so we'd get the full, you know, half page or full page um, Calvin and Hobbes spread. We definitely had like the books. I had every book. I had the collections of the books. I had, yeah. you know, like the big collections in the small and the smaller ones and like all the, um, the things that led up to that were published afterwards. And what I, I think is what, um, what Watterson does that's so amazing in that is it's something that you alluded to earlier. It's the ability to tell a story within three or four panels and do it day after day over the course of a couple weeks. You know, he tell a story about uh, Calvin and Hobbes, you know, using the uh, cardboard box to go back in time. And it would continue. You'd have to tell a complete story within any given day. And then you tell a story from over the course of, you know, two weeks and so that's, you know, 10, 10 comics. And um, I think his ability to keep so many of these things um, going and like, you know, Calvin is so imaginative, whether it was with uh, the, uh, the GROSS, get rid of slimy girls or like his um, dedication to um, his favorite magazine, Chewing which was all about like <laughs> chewing gum or whether it was using the box as a transmogrifier or a duplicator or a time machine or, or Calvin ball or Calvin ball or the, um, the snowman, you know, the snowman is interesting. And I think that that is one of those things about the comic that was so great is that it felt very much cyclical and year round, like in the winter, he would get to winter comics mm -hmm. And they would be about being in the winter and being in the snow and you get to summer and they're about, you know, exploring in the outdoors. And so you'd read like a year's worth and it would be like, okay, this kid and this person is, is giving a year long experience. And, um, you know, they were always, you know, even though <laughs> sometimes he would use a cardboard box, he would use it for different things. And that's just, you know, like Richard, you talked about his, the spirit of like, Calvin's imagination and then always having Hobbes there to, uh, you know, knock him down for you, prove him wrong. Yeah. And just, it's just wonderful. You know, but I, I think also like, we, you know, he didn't cash in on it more than the republishing of the books. 
He didn't turn them into something else. He didn't Wait, have a cartoon. He's not getting money off of the Calvin peeing on a floor <laughs> logo. There was a time when I was like, um, you know, like youthfully indignant at all the people that um, had those where I was so possessive <laughs> of my love of Calvin and Hobbes and Bill Watterson that I was like, I can't believe that someone would even buy these bootleg things. And then, um, you know, but yeah, yeah, you know, he was a very much a true artist to his nature and didn't, he wanted to say with the characters what he wanted to say within the comic and he didn't want them to be bastardized or have a, a another voice put on them or another change to the thing that he put down and like you know god not many people kind of have that um have that thought about their things they wanted to get out to as many people as possible and make all that that dough i do think calvin stood out well when we as a kid i thought cartoons were for kids like i knew my parents weren't watching animated uh saturday morning programming uh, but so when you'd open up the newspaper and see a Peanuts or see Calvin or see these other comics, it was also befuddling for me to read something like it was it Apartment 2G or there was like Mary Worth or uh, the, like the Rex Morgan MD. Yeah, Rex Morgan MD, <laughs> the grown up comics and wonder like, why, why do they want this like that? who reads this? I don't, I don't know that my parents read this, but it befuddled me that there were adult comics because it seemed like cartoons were kids stuff to me. But um, that's one thing that I've always kind of befuddled by was every year there's a hundred new shows on TV and 99 of them get canceled, but comics stay forever. Like if there's a comic strip in there, that sucker, what does it take to get, <laughs> to get something canceled. Who was reading Gasoline Alley? Who was reading The Wizard of Id after so many years of being in there? Beetle Bailey started as a strip where he was in college. Then, then it was in World War II, I think. And then, like, and it's like High and Lois's brother, like, like one of their like cousins or something, which uh -huh. I didn't know. But Beetle apparently, it, it's Beetle Bailey is part of the High and Lois universe. Oh, I did. <laughs> I didn't know. That. Very strange. <laughs> But no, no, you're right. They're, they're dark universe. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right, Jeff. I mean, there are all of these legacy comics that, that, that are like now 10 times removed from the original creator yeah. of the comic. Yeah. But there's still like this style guide and this is how yeah. this has to be. It's been interesting. Um, recently, Mark Trail, um, they switched uh, writers Oh, and animators. They've gone with a completely different animation style than what it's had for oh, really? you know, 50, 60 years. And they've gone for a very self-referential self kind of tone to it. So it's been interesting to see this one legacy comic attempting to adapt uh -huh. to kind of a, a modern comics universe. I thought the Mark Trail guy actually did High and Lois or something. Uh, maybe it was the Riots or something like that. But they were like the same artist drew it or I'm not sure. Well, anyway, what's your, what's your second one, Richard? No, yeah. I'm, am I on my second one? I am on my second yeah. one. Well, because we had, yeah, we had a, yeah, a, you're right. joint, yeah, you have a joint one. So I got to go again. So my second choice, um, it would be insane to have a Mount Rushmore of the funny pages without having Charlie Brown on there. Okay. So Peanuts. Peanuts. The, the Michael Jordan of comics. Yeah. The 500-pound gorilla. 
the one when you I think when I you start thinking of comics, you think, oh yeah, peanuts, obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, the greatest one ever. Um, whether or not it actually is the greatest one ever, whether you feel that way about it or not, it's just sort of part. It's at the top of the canon. Um, and you mentioned it, Jeff. I mean, they found a way to, you know, Charles Schultz found a way to present these kids in a way that wasn't too cloying, but it also wasn't too cynical. He found that kind of like sweet spot to kind of make the kids adult enough so that adults reading the comics would relate to them, but also childlike enough so that actual kids could read it and feel like, oh, that's speaking to me. And I think that's an incredibly difficult thing for any comic to do. And I think Charles Schultz was probably, I don't know, did, did kids see themselves in the Cats and Jammer kids? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I certainly don't think adults did, uh, but that was the case with the Peanuts. Mm-hmm. And the, the other reason I really have them on, have Peanuts on the list is I think in terms of its popularity and its ability to cross over into mainstream and commercial success was it was really a pioneer in that category i mean you had comics like little abner for example which was insanely popular in its time which they sold everything from you know including up to and including chesterfield cigarettes and you know a broadway musical there was a broadway musical there were movies you had all of that um i think peanuts kind of took that that ability that success and kind of ran with it so that now when you when you know there's probably a whole generation of kids who are now adults who see snoopy and immediately think of met life yeah right or knott's berry farm or Mm -hmm. dolly madison or whatever it happens to be i don't think they ever sold cigarettes that's probably the one thing they didn't sell you didn't see (laughs) linus smoking a winston yeah or anything like that no, but, no advertisements of, of Joe Cool back to back with Joe Camel. Just <laughs> no, Joe actually smoked cools. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that Peanuts is, you know, I think stylistically it was something that was unique that really kind of set a template for everything like Calvin and Hobbes and any of your other kid sort of centric comic books or comic strips. And at the same time, I think it was a uh, uh, a uh, commercial revolution in the idea of comics and what mm-hmm. wh- who they could appeal to. Yeah, I think the family circus had a preponderance of adults uh, intervening in the kids' existential uh, um, self questioning so so much that they didn't really have it. Whereas Peanuts reminded me of. Um, uh, somewhat like kind of like our gang, the our gang comedies, I think might have been a precedence for it. In that it was a world of kids in which they maybe sometimes a cop was chasing them, or somebody would, you know, they they try to bribe an old lady with some slug, slug nickels, plug nickels, or something like that to get a pie. But for the most part, it was a world of kids, and they had um, their aching romance uh, moments and their you know pains and their go-karts that fell apart and stuff like that and right. um and i felt like peanuts did kind of set set all that and, and then it even evolved in those uh i don't know when it was was it in the 60s or the mid 60s or late 60s when 
I think Schultz ran out of um, angst to do with the kids and just said, let's make Snoopy a World War II pilot or World War One <laughs> fighting ace or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that definitely yeah. would have been the 60s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, because I, I remember him also saying that it wasn't till after, I think, one of the animated specials that he gave Snoopy that m- many kind of like uh, verbal things like he yeah yeah the kind of sounds but yeah yeah definitely yeah it's definitely kind of like up in the the beatles it's that's on the rush more likely yeah yeah no it's it's hard it's hard to kind of get away from it and and you know the way that the comic translated to television you know Uh this new this fairly new medium um, and nobody knew with a Charlie Brown Christmas whether it's going to be a hit or a miss or it's going to be a complete bust. And now you think of Peanuts and you almost think of the TV uh, episodes and specials as much as you do the uh, the daily strips. Yeah. I'd be interested to see if the Snoopy show uh, gets picked up for another season on Apple I haven't seen it yet. I don't yeah. have Apple, so it's charming, and it has the jazz. You know, also as a as a young person, uh, Peanuts specials were the only place you're going to hear jazz on That's TV. True. You know, unless you're watching Steve Allen or something like that, <laughs> which well, all the kids were watching. All the back kids in the day. clamoring. Uh, More Steve uh, Allen. Yeah. Hey, he, he was going to interview Jack Kerouac. <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> Okay, guys, we are at halftime, and at this point, we're going to ask you to uh, do us a solid and go back and download, rate, and review past episodes. Oh, and listen to them while you're at it. Uh, eh. Hey, I guess you'd have to. Have to. <laughs> was, uh, that's Jay Leno, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to listen to it? Just wait until they come out in the collected editions. The collected anthologies. Go get, go yeah. Get, yeah, go get the go get the Mount Rushmore omnibus. Uh, <laughs> um, the essential, the essential um, Mount Rushmore uh, podcast in print form. Yeah. The it, days are just packed. The, the Mount Rushmore <laughs> collection. Um, there's somebody doing that funny comic strip that is Mount Rushmore without Mount Rushmore. It's just. Uh, um, yeah. Have you seen have you seen the one yes. Garfield without Garfield? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, do us a solid. Make a suggestion for a future episode. It would be really cool to hear what you want to hear. So you can do that on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, where we have a thriving um, uh, act- active audiences and people and friends and stuff like that, posting every hour. Yeah, the, the Rush Hive, as they, we call it out there. Yeah, yes, they stand for us. <laughs> the Rush Hive, that would be so awesome. <laughs> we are the whole, we're the other holy trinity of Rush. We're, we're not... Uh, um, Getty and, and uh, friends, we're <laughs> okay. So we are back, and I think uh, we haven't heard from Winfield in a while. So, what is your third? Okay, uh, another uh, comic that is impossible to talk about without um, just thinking about this comic completely is Garfield. Yes. Now, listen, Garfield has is not an amazing comic strip. Um. I did have all of the Calvin and Hobbes and the little collected editions. I also had a ton, if not all, of like the family circus. They had these, like these little small books of family oh. circus books. Huh. And I had all the Garfield books. I had all of them. Yeah. Um, I had several too. Yeah. Garf- Garfield, the 
gets eats fat. his own weight, gets fat, Garfield even, you know, larger. Garfield what, gets type 2 diabetes. <laughs> well, Calvin and Hobbes, I wanted to, to choose this as like an opposing pick to Calvin and Hobbes, where, where Calvin and Hobbes, Richard kind of mentioned it, um, was one that ran for 10 years. He was done. He was like the, the breaking bad of um, comic strips. He told a story. He didn't let it go on farther than it needed to. And he was good with it. Artistically, perfect. Garfield is like the Simpsons of comic strips, where it's like, why is this thing still going? Who are the people that are is interested yeah. in a Garfield comic strip? You guys kind of chatted about it on the other half, of the, the on the top half of the show, was that like these things that just go on and people are just like, is Jim Davis still writing it? Maybe. He's definitely <laughs> not drawing it anymore. Um, but Garfield was so interesting in that it was, you know, it had a changing art style over the years. It certainly went from being kind of like, he was kind of uh, grittier and very and kind of uglier. And over like the course of the years, he definitely kind of almost got, um, uh, I hate to use the term, but kind of like Disney-fied. Hmm. He became... Yeah more of a cartoon he became something that was easier to draw he became more um circular and turned into kind of like a mickey mouse type character where um he was a lot easier to draw than this kind of like you know 19 late 70s early 80s kind of fat gritty constantly yeah he was kind of an ugly cat to start and then he just kind of turned into the thing that's stuck to windows um but Garfield too was one of those that just like immediately understood its extension into different media. You know, in the mid eighties, I think that they started doing kind of their cartoon series, obviously the kind of sticky Garfield thing that went on cars, coffee mugs, calendars, stuffed animals. Um, and I just don't, uh, you know, I just, I, it just keeps going. And I think that's, there's uh, a longevity and it's like, it's the person that would be upset if the Simpsons went off the air. It's the person that would write in asking, why, why isn't Garfield in my, in my comic strip? It's probably comforting to a lot of people. It's certainly not funny. It's just kind of there. Yeah. Michael, do you remember when I sent you the uh, online uh garfield strip and then all of the comments that people had made on a on a particular day one of what this is probably insane it is one of my favorite things that exists in the internet is the idea that i think it's like comicstrip.com slash garfield or whatever it is i don't know the exact website um but basically you can read like the daily comic strips and you can read garfield and for some dumbass reason there is a commentary function underneath and it takes about two to seven comments before it starts getting like really political <laughs> and it's just people that just start like mouthing off and garfield's eating lasagna for the 900 millionth time and it's like well joe biden doesn't want you to eat meat lasagna anymore so why would garfield and you're just like well what is what is what is happening in America? And you realize, oh, they live on a Garfield message board and they're just commenting at each other. And you're like, oh, okay, that explains. 
Yes, Richard. Uh, I thank you forever for yeah. that gift. I appreciate always the people who kind of just comment with, go Garfield, go. <laughs> like Garfield <laughs> is like a real person or a real cat <laughs> who can hear them and understand them. Oh my God. Do you think you heard, so 82 was the first Garfield uh, with Lorenzo music as the uh, voice. Wow, 82, that early. That's un- yeah. I that's... think there were special- Because it, it started coming out in 78. Wow, that really is fast. So, yeah, so that's, that's yeah, four years is pretty fast to get uh, that, to be that popular. So I wonder if most people who might be listening, uh, well, if it was, if it, four years into it, uh, the voice of Garfield was set in media for us, I wonder if your comment regarding the streamlining of the character was something that might have even been done for the sake of animation. And then if Garfield was enhanced in his uh, popularity by the idea that we feel like we could really hear that voice, mm. you know, I don't know. That, what, an immediate, what an immediate like feedback. That must have happened a lot. Um, you know, uh, when I was kind of looking through like the history of like, comics or American comics, you know, obviously, I don't know, Richard, did, did you have any like uh, other comics from other countries in this list? No, and, I, I no. don't. But like for like American comics, like, you know, like Little Orphan Annie was one that started out as a comic strip and then quickly turned into uh, like a radio show. And like, I'm sure there's a lot of like just feedback. One, in, one thing kind of uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? One kind of like uh, speaks to another and causes changes in one aspect and it kind of goes back and forth. Synergistic, synchronistic. Yeah, uh, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So Garfield. yeah, the Garfield. Yeah, he's fat. And, you know, refer mm-hmm. back, hey, I should have, uh, I kind of wish this would have came before, before the uh, halftime, I would say, didn't, didn't we have a Garfield versus Heathcliff uh, debate hotly uh, uh, centered in a previous episode? It seems like we did. I feel like we did. If we have, yeah. we'll set that up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I believe I might I might have commented that um, the music video for the Stray Cats and Stray Cat Strut is basically a Heathcliff cartoon come to life. Is it? <laughs> uh, uh, good thing we didn't get into, into any hot Heathcliff versus Top Cat debate. Oh, God. Oh, no, Jeez, no. We don't need that. Oh. Uh, more controversy we don't need we don't need the message board coming mm-hmm. after us yeah. on that one mm-hmm. we like both um uh, <laughs> dirty cats where they are mm. wow so frank welker replaced lorenzo music and then of course bill murray's been in it but uh all right so uh man Freddy, what's your third all right my third choice is the far side oh and i think we, we that's i wanted to take advantage of the idea that we're not just about multi-panel strips yeah the funny pages can have these single panel whether it's family circus or any of these other sort of single panel cartoons and another series of books that i have every every one of down in a box in the garage yeah Yeah. Yeah, i think most 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 of our generation Mm -hmm. does um i think it has the greatest hit to miss ratio Mm. of any comic strip particularly the single panel ones because if you read any of the ones that are out today or in the ones that have come before, yeah, every once in a while you'll get one that's amusing, but you've got to go through some stinkers to get to get to the really funny ones. 
And Gary Larson delivered time and time again with just something weird and funny. It was a, it was like the first comic page cartoon that I remember that wasn't afraid to be weird. Yeah. You know, it never went for a cheap joke. It always assumed that the reader was smart enough to get whatever gag that they were going after. Um, you know, like, for example, when one gorilla is grooming another, the female gorilla is grooming the male gorilla and pulls out a blonde hair and goes, hmm, blonde hair again. Is that Jane, Jane Goodall tramp again? Just yeah. sort of like you can make that joke and just assume that the audience knows who Jane Goodall is and understands the gag there. Um, and it's just got this high level of rereadability. Like, you know, Michael said, there's a reason why everyone has all of these far side comics. And I certainly, I passed my books on to, to my kids when they got to be mm -hmm. old enough to read and understand them. Um, not only are the jokes, these, you know, great setups and punchlines, but the drawings have all these great small details in them that just make their rereadability, I think, incredibly high. You know, one of my favorite far side comics and i know that i'm trying to explain a comic audio in an audio way and it's just going to be a failure no matter how you do it but i'm going to do it anyway um, was just a dog with an open washing machine that had cat food scrawled on it and him going oh please oh please oh please oh please but the but the fact that it didn't say cat food it said cat fud f-u-d for whatever reason, the fact that the dog couldn't spell food correctly just made the gag that much funnier. And so it's like the little stuff like that that kind of went into the far side. And I again, Gary Larson, somebody who got burned out, decided to stop on his own terms. He even said whenever when he announced that uh, he was going to be retiring the far side, uh, he basically said that he didn't want it to go into the graveyard of mediocre cartoons. So I, I, again, another comic that went out when it was on top. Um, although take it, that, Marmaduke. Yeah, take that. Uh, what was the one in? <laughs> what's the one in Parade? There's like a really giant dog, but it's not Marmaduke. Anyway, somebody, somebody, somebody. Clifford? No, 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 huh. no, no. It's it's a. But it's like Clifford the Big Red Dog. Uh -huh. I'm going to look this up right now because it's going to drive me nuts. <laughs> a friend used to uh, make a habit of reading the Marmaduke caption on Family Circus. So, so you read the... That's how you make those, those comics funny, to switch captions. So if there might be three people at a table, a breakfast table, mom, the kids, the caption is, he's licking me, he's licking me. So it just has this surreal Dolly-esque kind of that happened one time with uh with uh Family Circus and uh Farside. They got the captions mixed. Oh, did up. they really? Oh, that's funny. And so there's a caption. Oh, no, by the way, it's how Howard Huge. Howard Huge yeah, is the uh, giant dog wow. okay. in Parade magazine. So now you know. Uh, but yeah, it it, it, it it would happen to be a really bizarre sort of not it wasn't just like kind of a mix up, but I, I I want to say the family circus kids wound up saying something like, I've got it right here. Oh, it's Dennis the Menace. I take that back. My bad. Mm. It was Dennis the Menace. And <laughs> oh, sorry, it was an obituary. Sorry, and, <laughs> it was an obituary. And the mom is, is like 
on the phone and Dennis is going with Joey and Joey says something like, or Dennis says something in the mixed up comics to the effect of, oh no, not hamsters again. As he's like <laughs> eating, as he's eating a sandwich. That's funny. It just turned out to be perfect. Uh, Farsight yeah. is so, is so interesting because it, they, they, it works so well within the realm of being the comics. And obviously we've kind of talked about not only their lives, you know, within the comic pages, but also like, you know, in the real world, they work so well as, as a mug, as a daily um, calendar, as something that you um, would, you know, maybe have a t-shirt for, or like a, uh, a big monthly calendar, but they didn't work as well as like a cartoon as like an animated series. I think they tried that and it just wasn't, it didn't quite capture the immediacy of a single panel comic. Cause it's a one joke thing. It's you're in and you're out, you read it, it's funny. It's not an, it's not a, a bit, it's not five minutes. There's no real setup and punchline. You take everything in all at once. And I think sometimes you think those things will translate to being funny but sometimes they're just like, oh, no, it's just, I don't want to see this in, I don't want to see this in a different format other than reading it in a paper or a book or whatever, or on a mug. <laughs> I guess. You know, funny, uh, Richard, I think your comment, um, made a comment earlier and I was thinking about how uh, the far side, how, how these comics are kind of strange bedfellows. They seem to be such different worlds. And I guess it's not dissimilar to switching channels on, uh your tv you'll see all different types of entertainment and there you have different types of audiences but the far side definitely felt more like something out of mad magazine uh and it almost felt like a a thing that could have been more close to the editorial page type of cartoons just not because it was political but just it was more just weird it wasn't this this cutesy thing for little kids it just had a an odd oddness to it so i think, it when, is... you think of, when you think about nerd culture being a thing nowadays i think a lot, i think the fact that uh the far side became as mainstream popular as it did was an early example of nerd culture going mainstream because it really was kind of a mm-hmm. a nerd comic when it started yeah fun fun all right uh it is oh gosh it's mike's last chance yeah and final don't worry panel. final panel final panel witty rejoinder it's not going to be funny oh shit it's it's what you kind of alluded to earlier uh as well jeff it's the unfunny serious comics that plague a funny oh, page yeah. that yeah. you just just breeze right on past and yes. i don't have one in particular whether it's rex morgan md or mary worth or uh, apartment 3g or any of these that like they appeal to a certain person that I just don't get and I've never read one and maybe they're good. I'm not that person. I can't, I couldn't key into it when I was, um, you know, a, a kid or a teenager. And certainly as an adult, like I don't have the time to invest in all the different things that Mary Worth is advising you to do or not do all of her advice yeah. or yeah, to see whatever's going to happen with, with the good doctor Rex Morgan. Like, it's just like, I, those things 
it's they're so strange and they're so out of place within this world, but they have no other place to be. Mm-hmm. I know that sometimes there are some comics like, um, uh, oh, uh, Life in Hell, that yeah. never really lived within a funnies page that only kind of lived on like alternative magazines, like on page two or three of like, you know, the LA Weekly or yeah. the LA Weekly or the Seattle Weekly or whatever, that it seems so strange that that, that those, that mentality isn't, was never accepted within, you know, the world of the funny pages, yet you'd see something like, uh, I guess, Doonesbury, or you'd see, uh, I guess maybe not quite Doonesbury, a little bit Doonesbury. I don't know. I never cared about it. Mm-hmm. It was one of those that I just, there are certain ones. And I think that's the the thing about the funny pages is that they, they if you're reading them constantly, there's a certain number of things that you read. I don't know who is the person that reads every, every comic in there. Who is the person that's the diehard Calvin and Hobbes fan and also um, a Beatle Bailey fan? That is an interesting also reading, that's also reading Blondie. Like, I recall you know, you, as a kid yeah. maturing into the next category, like being a Peanuts mm. kid. And then I somehow just kind of get caught up in the plot line of Blondie. Like I don't have it. I don't identify with tag, but I don't know how I would ever care. But even were you, were you hitting puberty at the time? I guess yeah, it could have been. There was a lot. They had a lot to offer in that to somebody like that. But yeah, I think maybe they're just hoping you age into it. It's like the beverage aisle. Your grocers, you know, you'll you'll have uh, um, the, there's the young people stuff and then the old people stuff, and they'll well, have something to offer. I think it's the people who watch soap operas, yeah, the people who are reading these soap opera comics, the your Mary Worths, etc. Because who doesn't love some hot uh, meddling action? Yeah, some <laughs> old biddy inserting ourselves into the lives of the uh, Charterstone. Uh, mm-hmm community well that's a good point like uh think of uh soap operas get, getting that name because they uh appeal to um uh persons who are at home doing the domestic type of stuff buying the the mm. detergents and stuff so i imagine those same people um uh bef- go to uh the newspaper for entertainment and so that that must be the same appealing to the same audience yeah wow I can't yeah, I'm not. Say, I'm not it. saying that there isn't there isn't a market for it, but I think that the funny pages are such a snapshot of. You can pick out whatever you're going to pick out out of it, like yeah. if you're reading through. It's almost like I don't know, Richard. Does this make sense? If you're like someone that's into baseball, and you bought a newspaper and you're reading, you know, a a game digest or a box tour. Do you think you generally be a person that would just read one for your own team? Or would you kind of look through all of them and say, oh, I guess the A's beat the Mariners tonight, last night, and it was eight to three, and this person got a hit, and da da da. I mean, well, I, I guess you I don't know. Would. I'm, I mean, yeah. I, I have a hard time kind of disassociating myself as a kid who did read every box score and read all that kind of crap versus a modern person who. Maybe you know it's the person who watches Sports Center all the way through, mm. and doesn't just watch for their team's highlights or for the highlights of the one big game. So I guess yeah, I guess there's people like that. I'm just um, 
Yeah, I know that there are, you know, there are people that are like, oh, I read uh, the New York Times, co you know, cover to cover. I read the Sunday edition, every page of it. And it's like, oh, okay, pat yourself on the back. Do you read every comic too? Get out of here. You're Mary Worth. <laughs> uh, all right. Last one, Manfredi. All right. So I wanted to do one that was political in nature because I am, in looking back on it, I was shocked at how much my own kind of political awakening was tied to reading certain comics in the funny pages mm. and i wanted to go dunesbury but i remember that in my local rag uh dunesbury was actually part of the editorial pages mm. oh yeah not yeah. the funny pages so yeah I felt like i felt like i couldn't in good conscience select dunesbury so i went with bloom county instead yeah um yeah, I think it was one of the few comics at the time that was really geared towards adults in a comedic way. I mean, like Michael said, you had all of these Mary Worths and Rex Morgans and what have you that were adult cartoons in a very dramatic sense. But Bloom County was definitely targeted toward an adult audience who understood sur surrealistic kind of humor. Um, and it made you feel like, I, I think it was the first comic that I can remember that made you feel like that you were part of like a big inside joke. Like when you read Bloom County and you read it every, like me, you read it every day and you had all of the books and collections and everything. You felt like you were part of this like insular world, like, hey, I get it. And if you ran into somebody else who liked Bloom County, you're like, oh, wow, hey, we're on the same page here that we're simpatico. Um, you know, and they had their inside jokes that they ran with, you know, whether it was constantly talking about the shrinking of comic pages or all the times they would break the fourth wall, which isn't something you would see in other comics. Um, or even the fact that they decided to debut their own anti-Garfield character, which was Bill mm. the Cat. Yeah. Who wound up becoming as marketable as Bill as Garfield was, which wound up, <laughs> uh, which is kind of a fascinating thing that happened. Um, and yeah, I just for me, you know, so much of being a kid in the 80s, what I knew about politics, you know, I learned about you and Ambassador Jean, Jeannie Kirpa Jean Kirkpatrick, not so much because of the news, but because Bill the Cat was dating her in the comic book. You know, that sort of thing that that was really kind of the the value of Bloom County to me. I, it kind of you kind of wrapped by the time I got to college it seems like it ended right and then Outland started or what was it Outland know, yeah it probably would have been a little look that up real quick 89 because uh -huh. I think I remember actually mistaking it for Doonesbury because I thought some of the illustration was kind of similar like I felt like he was inspired a little bit by Trudeau for it but I feel you in that it seemed like it was kind of like your um, inside joke, the kind of adult uh, it, it in that it had satire in it, whereas other comics for young people didn't actually have that. But yeah, I kind of missed out on that one. I felt like by the time it was wrapping up, I was. You're, you're a little bit too old for the demographic. Maybe. Blue County know. was definitely the, um, the older cooler comic that like my older cooler uh cousin christian was into 
Yeah. He had, he had um, definitely an Opus and a Build-A-Cat shirt. He had like the collected uh, Bloom County comics. And, you know, he's, I don't know, maybe uh, five, six years older than me. And he was like, just this cool, cool punk kid. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah. The, so the cool, yeah. the cool guy was in, this is, this is what, this is what the guy that was crazy gluing um, pencils into his hair to make, you know, Liberty spikes uh, was into. I was like, okay, yeah. Right, yeah, not, it was not, definitely not my bag. It, it was definitely the college rock to like peanuts, yeah. like like yeah. pop, you know, uh-huh. top forty pop. All right, okay, guys. So Jeff Hopkins uh, uh, is going to pick in four panels. Going to pick mm. this. The first panel, I'm sitting down with cereal, and um, I golden grams, or is it um? Oh, which one? Honey bunches of oats. Uh, Honey bunches of oats. There. Okay. Yeah. What's the one? I love when the cereal does the just, <laughs> just oats. You know, or like it'll do its spinoff. It'll be. It'll do its um, its outland. Cinnamon know, bunches of oats. Cinnamon. Something well, like yeah, that. yeah. What was the one that was just crunch? You know, like all crunch berries. You know, or something. Versus, oh yeah, Captain yeah, Crunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, Richard, that is that is something that we uh, need to discuss. Uh, how come there hasn't been like crossovers within like the serial universe? Oh wow! How come like, there's never been a Captain Crunch comic book? No, comic? no, no. I mean, no. I mean, like, like I guess why have like why purple have clovers? <laughs> purple clovers in life serial or, or yeah, you know, General Mills owns you know X number of like serials and serial mascots. Where how come you can't like get a bunch of Lucky Charms like in your uh, yeah. Uh, Sugar, cocoa, you know, sugars, cocoa. Yeah, just Guess, get them all mixed yeah. up. Guest, I'm uh, looking up cereal crossovers right now. Look up, look up cereal, and there is a um, lucky. There's a Lucky Charms Frosted Flakes. Okay, uh, that makes my mouth burn. Just even yeah, that doesn't about sound that. great. Okay, going Calvin and Hobbes. Going, yeah. um, I let's see, uh, going Little Nemo, just because it seems historical. Um, far side because iconic. Yeah. And then let's do peanuts because iconic. So I hope that satisfies you, gentlemen. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I'm disappointed we didn't talk about the horoscope. Um, <laughs> and and Landers. See, what else would be there like so yeah, like to jumble the scrambled word game yeah jumble is great the acrostic um, yeah there's there's those things that were very important oh the uh omar i had omar sharif's uh bridge <laughs> no that's uh, right <laughs> his bridge uh tips God, that's oh, richard you should you should have put that four and just didn't need to explain anything and you would have gotten four points just off of jeff just then uh, i booted that i booted that one a little bit I love, I love vincent price's recipe daily recipe <laughs> like all the things that like that you would just look at as a kid and go what the fuck is this this is the weirdest thing oh i love it i love it Okay, guys, this has been the Mount Rushmore of Funny Pages. I, as always, am Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. What a fun chat. Yeah. Yeah.